Hey folks, this is Dylan and I want to welcome you to the Eat Wild Podcast. This podcast is about learning to hunt, it's about conservation and mentorship and adventures and over the course of uh, the next little while here I hope to bring forward a bunch of interesting guests and tell some stories and hopefully take you on a few adventures, so check it out. So uh, I guess British Columbia, where, where we're where we're based out of, uh, has had a hell of a uh, uh, fire season this year. Um, all throughout the sort of central interior of British Columbia has been on a, a series of wildfires that have been burning through, and I think that there was upwards of thirty-five or forty thousand people at one point moved on to their homes. I, it could be a bit high, but uh, there were several communities that had been evacuated. So. So yeah, that, that just people are able to go home, and the highways opened up just in time for us to pass through. So we've driven past quite a few burn sites that have touched right up against the shoulder of the highway. Yeah, and then it went, there was <clears throat> at one point there we could maybe about 100 yards along the highway. You can see ahead of us. Very remarkable. Yeah, the smoke was thick. Yeah, and I've been having an asthma attack pretty much the whole length of the drive. So well, you got your Benadryl. Well, I got my that Tim Hortons, um, uh, very sugar, sugary treat there that uh, seems to have uh, perked me up a little bit, got me ready for this uh, to launch us into this podcast. So, Rick, what are we, um, what are we doing? Uh, we're recording a podcast. Okay, that's one thing. What else are we doing? Uh, we're on our way to Fort Nelson from where from whence from from whence we're going to fly. Oh, yeah, you got to be careful now, because we're literally broadcasting to the entire world. Right, but you can you can bleep this, right? I say, Well, yeah, I guess so. But we got to be careful, because we, we've actually, you know, we, we have sort of leaned on a number of uh, friends and colleagues to give us some insight. So we're flying to an unspecified location. One hour's flight. Is that okay to say? I, that, that pretty much pinpoints it. So Approximately one hour's flight. I think you can say that we're flying into the... Uh, and the Northern Rockies to go on a uh, stone sheep hunt, and uh, yeah, this will be a lot of fun. So, and I thought, um, Rick, for this first podcast, we could talk about a couple things that hopefully are of interest to our our, uh, our vast audience, um, our podcast audience here, um, our parents, our parents probably, and whoever else happens to take the time to listen to this. Um, I think we should talk a little bit about. How you ended up coming on this trip with me? I think that's kind of an important discussion. And then uh, um, the other one, I just thought of all the stuff that, like, I was just saying on this before we started the podcast. As, as, as we finished, like, downloading, you know, apps onto our phones for navigation at the Tim Hortons Wi-Fi spot there, like all the things that, like, I feel like I've been working on this trip for three months, and and yet when we when we like, you know, 
step off the plane, so to speak. They're gonna, you know, the pilot's going to hand us a backpack that weighs 50 pounds, and that's what we're going to survive on for 14 days. It just seems, how can it be so complicated to pack a bag? And that's it. But somehow there's been a lot of steps in between to get to that point. So maybe we can talk about, well, you know, for this episode, talk about planning and trip planning, and, and maybe this is something that, it, well, it maybe it's not new to you in terms of trip planning, but maybe it's a little bit new in terms of some of the considerations for hunting. That yeah. might be an interest. Yeah, yeah, because there have been a number of things that are, are different from uh, you know, my background, which is more oriented toward mountaineering and just uh, you know pleasure trips in the backcountry. Um, been a lot of things that have come up that are very hunting specific. Yes, for sure. So let's start with that. Let's start, so so Rick, how did you find yourself um, on this hunt with me? start with how how we know each other or, or more proximally well i guess so we well yeah sure well how do we know each other yeah so uh so i've been running this shop for about five years now just over five years uh homestead junction it's an urban homesteading store or was an urban homesteading store because so we just closed it um and that was sort of how uh i originally came into to, uh, dylan's orbit and meanwhile um i think we had a bunch of mutual friends just uh, from being oriented towards food and uh, yeah, the do-it-yourself, yeah, do-it-yourself food movement, and uh, certainly that's where we cross paths for sure. Yeah, so my wife and I, um, maybe three years ago now, we attended the Eat Wild Hunter Field Skills Workshop up at Singing Lands Ranch, and that was my first introduction to hunting. Um, since then, I've been out on a few weekend trips looking for mule deer without really even closely approaching success. One time I saw an animal and I couldn't tell whether it was or wasn't a legal buck. So that's the, uh, that's been the, the pinnacle of my hunting career so far. Um, so I was, I was very excited when Dylan kindly extended the invitation to join me on this extended backcountry trip. Because it, it does seem like the logical next step. Like if you've been sort of half-assed mule deer hunting a couple times and seen a couple deer, the next step would obviously be to like do a fly-in sheep hunt in the northern Rockies. You know that would be kind of the next logical progression in your hunting development, right? Right. Well, you don't want to jump in with both feet, so baby steps. No, no. I mean, I, I mean, it's a simple. I mean, it's really you know logistically, equipment-wise, general fitness awareness. You know. Yeah, I mean, all, all of it is pretty easy, so I, I, I'm, I'm kidding. I, I feel like this is sort of the, of, of even with my with my personal development as a hunter, I, only in the last handful of years that I really started to focus on sheep, just mostly because it's just the, the remoteness and, and, this, and the, the country's pretty big that we're going into. And, and uh, mind you, you know, to be honest, like the, the we did a, a fly-in trip a couple of years ago and I was, a little bit, I had a little bit of anxiety with flying into an area and being dropped off and watching the plane um, take off and leave you behind, you know, with your 12 days of food and your pop tent. And, you know, in the end, it was just no big deal. You know, you just go hike around for 12 days and look at sheep and lay around in the meadow. So it's actually, you know, logistically, like, it wasn't actually that challenging. They, we, we ended up going elk hunting couple of weeks later and and we were just you know hunting out of a, off, the, off the river in a jet boat 
little bit off the highway, and we ended up having some success with elk, and, which means that, you know, whenever you have success, and you wind up, you know, you're basically packing, packing an elk for a, for a pretty much a day, and there's just a lot of work, and a lot of coordination, and a lot of dealing with meat, and, you know, lots, lots of hunting, and it was much more, you know, lots more work, so. So, um, from, from my point of view, uh, you know, it, it felt like a no-brainer, you know, I, I've been uh, interested in advancing my short career as a hunter, and so I got an invitation to go on a sheep trip with Dylan for a couple of weeks. Obviously, I'm going to jump on that. Um, I'm more curious why Dylan thought it was reasonable to invite me in the first place. <laughs> well, I, you know what? Nobody else would go with me, so it's kind of landed with you. There you go. No, Coalition no. of the willing. <laughs> for sure. No, uh, to be honest, I, you know, I put it out there a little bit on, on uh, within within my community of, of hunting friends. Uh, there are definitely, I mean, just the length of time that this trip takes, and the fact that we're probably not going to kill anything, really makes it a barrier for a number of my buddies who have families and kids. And if they're going to take two weeks off, they got to go. They got to fill the freezer. So to to go on a on a flyer hunt like this, as in like the chances of it working out, pretty are pretty low. Um, you know, it's not something that. Uh, that, that sells to the family all that well. Um, so, you know, trying to, I, and I've got to, so yeah, so to, to find, trying to find someone who's motivated to come and, and do this type of trip and isn't, isn't really, um, uh, they're not super meat, necessarily meat motivated. Uh, I, and uh, also, I was looking for two other things. I, I really wanted to find someone, if, I, if I'm going to go with someone, uh, I don't mind like supporting and teaching you how to, how to hunt in the Alpine. That I enjoy that part, and it's it's something we're going to do together anyway. So, um, but the part that's really important is, is just is is your skill set of being in the mountains and whether I mean that you've you've got the right equipment, you know how to use it, and you, and you've got some you've got a high comfort level of you know hanging out in the mountains in inclement weather and know what that's all about. And and that's something that's that's really your background. Right. Yeah. That that describes me uh, to, to to some extent at least. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm coming at this um, from, uh, from from a background of, uh, you know, a, a, a developing career as an outdoorsman, I guess, for a while. I thought maybe I was going to make a career in outdoor uh, education, and so um, I've, I've been on a number of uh, multi-week and, and even multi-month backcountry trips. Um, so... But it, it has been a few years, um, so that, that's another reason, really, why I'm excited to get out. You know, even even if this turns out to be uh, not uh, not successful in terms of bringing back something to fill our freezer with, uh, you know, my, uh, my my early 20s was all about just spending weeks in the backcountry for its own sake. So I feel like I'm pretty likely to get that no matter what. Yeah, that was was cool. I, I was chatting with Caitlin about you know about you taking off for two weeks and, and she was pretty pumped because I guess that was a pretty big part of your life. Um, Caitlin's my wife. Caitlin, yes, yes. Um, but yeah, Caitlin was saying that uh, she was really happy for you because it's bringing you back to a big part of who you were and I guess the last bunch of years you've been kind of caught up with running the business. And, and, uh, yeah, basically since I've had the shop open, I mean, uh, I, I opened up uh, Homestead Junction or Homesteaders Emporium, the store that would become Homestead Junction back in 2012. Uh, but I was working full-time on it since late 2011. And for the first two or three years, I, I was hard-pressed to even take a weekend off. 
um, and it's only been uh, the last couple years that I've, I've been able to you know, manage my time with staff a little bit. And now the store's closed, so free time, whatever I want. Hey, we're both we're both unemployed. That's, hey, that's right. Yeah. Hey, hey. Where's your coffee? Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, unemployment <laughs> and sheep hunting. So yeah, that's, so that's the other big news that sort of that's the facility that well, why I have the time to do this trip is I. I've uh, I work I manage provincial parks for a living and uh, I've taken a five month leave of absence to pursue what I'm calling my hunting sabbatical and uh, I'm gonna take on some um, some amazing hunting adventures which is sort of why we're doing this podcast so this is sort of podcast one of uh, hopefully a fairly interesting fall for me I'll also be doing a bunch of fun stuff for Eat Wild and kind of maybe growing the business a bit or hopefully maybe maybe making the business a little bit uh, self sustaining. So yeah, that's the plan. So why don't we just take a quick break here and just make sure that we've actually recorded this last little bit, and it uh, looks like we have. Um, so are we good to go, Rick? Uh, yeah, it looks good from here. Right, right on. Okay, so our setup here, just in case you're curious, is uh, we've got uh, our, our MacBook Pro and a couple of headsets, and uh, it's been facilitating a nice uh, drive. So the drive is actually 18 hours long uh, to... Um, or Nelson, so that's, that's going to be a long podcast. Eh? Uh, yeah, I hope you don't run out of things to talk about. <laughs> I hope you don't have anything to do, listeners. <laughs> yeah. Hey, like some, some, maybe somebody else who's driving to Fort Nelson can just put this podcast on. We could call out the landmarks as we see them, and then you, know, you could, you could uh, watch for them at the same time. Yeah, kind of a fun game. There you go. All right, so now you know what we're doing and why we're here. Um, let's just talk a little bit about some of the... Uh, planning that went into this trip so what um, I guess we got together for the first I guess what was the first thing that, that uh, what was the first bit of organization that you got that we, that we started in on uh, well at that time there were to be three of us in the party and uh, I think he just had us over for it was either dinner or, or, or maybe drinks talking about possible locations and trip formats. Is that, am I right about that? Yeah, yeah, I kind of wanted to get you and Kai together to see if y'all, y'all got along. And, yeah, um, yeah I, I, I'm, I'm sorry that uh, Kai wasn't able to join us. Um, Kai is a journalist. A uh, little bit uh, of everything, yeah. Uh, he's a, Kai is a, a modern renaissance man. And he was going to be in charge of the media components of this expedition um, and, and bring uh, a better video camera than the one that we have and presumably better audio equipment than the one that we have. And also, uh, you know, a, a modicum of professionalism. <laughs> so that will be sorely missed. Sorely missed. But we're, we're down to two, so we're, we're going to be more stealth now. So... And the three of us in that little tent would have been yeah, pretty cozy. Yeah, pretty cozy. So, right so yeah, we got together. I mean, and I think that's probably one important part about doing any of these trips. And I and I hear uh, got a hot partner. You know, you know Larry, old, like our, our good friend Larry. Um, or maybe did you do? Was Larry at your Hunter Field Skills workshop? I don't think so. I think it was just Jeff and Rob. Oh, okay. So Larry is like 77, 78 now. Like. Just a, just a fascinating guy. Anyways, he's a good friend of mine, and we hunt together a bunch. And he's been hunting, like, for 
like he's been doing this a long like since he was a kid, and he's been doing adventure hunts for a really long time. Like he was a he was a, a school teacher, and uh, like he retired something like thirty years ago now. He's been he's so he's but even as a school teacher, you have you have the summers off, and he would do big expedition hunts in the summer for moose and sheep, I guess, and he had mules, which you would you know that would provide you an opportunity to get into some pretty neat areas, but they, the nature of having horses, you typically will have longer trips, or mules in this case. But it's kind of funny, because Larry's got like a list of old hunting partners, like, and and I guess you hunt with someone for a while, maybe, or maybe you hunt with them once, because you can have like these sort of, I mean, you really get your personalities and your, and your, and, and, and how well you, you get along is really tested on a hunt, because you're under a fair bit of stress at times and physically challenging or mentally challenging just that if you're if it's not all working out and um it could be quite trying i'm sure on 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 your on your relationship so so maybe step one is to try and make sure you've got resilient friends coming with you or resilient people with similar objectives and 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 goals for for a trip and that was kind of my for the first sort of meeting there was to sort of figure out if there was common ground for what we all wanted to get out of the trip and had y'all said that you wanted to like you know fill your freezer and shoot a monster ram and we had to get three rams and you know I, I probably would have figured that we well for sure we wouldn't be meeting our expectations I can guarantee that um, and uh, so yeah but it was good that we were all kind of on the same page as far as all pretty excited just about getting out on an adventure and that was really our objective and and everybody seemed to have consensus around doing something interesting as far as, um, you know, maybe doing some podcasting and, and, and telling some, do some storytelling with, with media. So, And as for whether we get along or not, we thought we would just uh, just find out by going on hunting trips. Yeah, exactly. So we don't really know how well we're going to get along just yet, but well, I'm sure it's all going to work out. But we're pretty mature, right? Like, you know, we're very mature. Very mature, you know, we, we you know, we have high levels of emotional intelligence. We we can work through challenges as we go. And, and we did, uh, you know, form a, a, a strong bond as members of the Slug People, Slug Pitch Softball Team this year. Oh, definitely. We because we had to go endure some tough times. Like, I think we had about a 14 game losing streak there for a while. I think we won our first game and our last game actually. I think yeah. that was it. And in between, there was a long slog of a, everything else. Yeah, everything else. We also won that game where the other team. Show up. Oh yeah, it's that's which is a three, 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 and, was a three and fourteen or something like that. Glorious victory. Yeah, yeah. There was moments I were trying. I mean, as a competitive baseball, well, as a competitive guy who's played a lot of baseball, I, I tried not to, tried really not to be emotionally connected. You know, yeah, be too emotional, too emotional about losing. Yeah, so just talking about getting along, I was where I was going with the Larry story is that it's he's got this like long history of um, of hunting, and he's got this incredibly long history of like um, like of, of like of hunting partners that he's basically burnt out or had like dramas with that result in yeah in, in no 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 future hunts and it's, and I kind of know why because I mean he's a he's a very he's a really he's a really uh, hard-working hunter and he's very driven and uh, I think he's probably maybe hard to keep up with and I, even at 78 that he had now like I find he's he's hard to keep up with at times and uh, but he's a he's a real enthusiast and, and uh, he's a great hunter 
Well, are the people on his list, are they, do they continue to be friends of his, or is he like, oh, that guy's a <laughs> no. He wants to sleep in until 7 every day. No, no, but everybody's got a story about Larry, one story or another, and they're all pretty funny, but, um, yeah, I mean, everybody, I mean, you, you got, you're going to love Larry. I mean, everybody, everybody loves Larry, and, and the people who are going to listen to this podcast, a lot of people know Larry. He's a, he's a real gem of a human being. And, will uh, he be joining us on this podcast? Oh, for sure, yeah, Larry will be, yeah, I mean, I, I was kind of, that's kind of the whole podcast is built, like, one of the things I want to do in the podcast is try to capture the that sort of connection to mentors that, that I've been so fortunate to have and, and to, to, to meet guys like Larry and them that, you know, I met Larry when he was like, I, I met him a little over 10 years ago, like 12 years ago. And, uh, and he's just, yeah, I mean, he's like, was my new best friend at, at whatever that was like, you know, 68 or whatever he was when I met him. Right. So, um, so yeah, so, and all the knowledge that he's shared with me and so many like of the, I mean, we were we were talking about the spot that we're going sheep in, and he sent me Google Earth images, and he was telling me he said he, he was telling so he he had met a young guide like twenty years ago, maybe longer, uh, that had guided this territory. who actually had had brain cancer as a young man, and Larry had befriended him at some point, and and, and this guy knew that Larry had mules and had had an interest in the area that were that were that were going to hunt, and so. Larry went over and met this guy, you know, shortly before his, he passed on, and, and he filled up his whole uh, his whole uh, atlas with all the horse trails in this area, uh, with the advice of this guide, right? So, so anyway, so yeah, so Larry and I are on the phone yesterday, like kind of, you know, he's he's sending me Google Earth images and potential trails and and uh, and spots that he you know gleaned from his research from 20, 30 years ago, but it's pretty amazing to have like, have this encyclopedia of Larry, uh, to, to provide insight on, you know, a number of the hunts that I do every year. So, but that's really cool. I mean, that's really what makes, you know, that's what makes me a, a successful hunter is just having relationships with guys like Larry and Jeff and others who are been doing this a long time. And the other part about it, they're just such fantastic people. They got, they have so much to share. So I, I would love for this, you know, if I if I continue to pursue this podcast concept, I'd love I would love to bring those those characters on, you know, and, and share their knowledge with people, but also just encourage people to to get out there and build, you know, cross generational relationships where you're you're really sharing knowledge. And I just don't think we're doing a ton of that right now, and it seems to be a bit of a gap. But certainly with the the new hunters that I'm meeting, uh, they don't they don't necessarily have those relationships and. For me, it's like that's why that's why I love hunting. I mean, I, I can't. I mean, I love going to my whitetail camp every year because it's like, I, it's like coming home. There's like there's you know, seven or eight men that I grew up hunting with that are all you know, getting into their later years now. But man, I just love hanging out with them, and, and they've taught me so much about hunting, and, but just taught, taught me so much about life, and that's sort of kind of really formative of you know who I am certainly uh, today. So, do you bring your brother? It's coming this year, yeah. First time. First time, yeah. Yeah, it's been. Uh, I'm really excited about it. Actually, I think he's gonna, he's gonna, yeah, have a good, good time. I bring him out fishing, and he knows a lot of the guys through fishing. But I think it'll be good for him to hang out with us at Whitetail Camp and learn to hunt whitetails. So, anyways, that's the premise of the uh, podcast. And uh, so let's talk about the other thing. So, so I sent you guys a, a gear list. 
Now, did you find that helpful? Uh, I, I, I did, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I have uh, already kind of my own uh, checklist that I use for other trips, but um, some of the concepts were new to me. So in, in your gear list, Dylan, you had a thing called a spike camp. And I guess uh, you know, one, one thing that I haven't been used to is um, you know, the idea of having a base camp and then making out from that, I'm used to used to traveling alpine style, where you just everything you have comes with you. Um, so that had some some ramifications for the way that I packed all my stuff together. You know, I brought certain things that normally I would have left behind um, because I know that we'll be able to leave them um, back at the airstrip in case we're stuck there for a few days before the plane comes. Um, and uh, Yeah, I, I like I like the way that uh, um, I was, it was it was organized in a helpful way. Yeah, this kind of an it's sort of an interesting part about this the spike camp concept, and that's something that we. So one of the, one of the things that may may happen to us on this trip is we we could be up in the Alpine and we get so wet and cold that we are no longer able to stay. Like there, there's no there's no we can't get dry. And if you can't get dry in the Alpine, then it, you 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 got it. You got to come down, get out of the Alpine, and find a way to get dry. Um, so that's finding trees, really, and, and and being able to string up some type of a shelter and have a fire. What we what I envision us doing for this trip is is basically leaving a potentially a tent set up, or at least a, a tent in our in a cache uh, at tree line next to the at the 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 next to the uh, airstrip that we can come back to that, uh, have some food and a shelter, a couple tarps maybe, and uh, maybe some dry socks and, and underwear all in our cache. And then if, you know, basically pl we're planning on trying to be up in the Alpine on the ridges for, you know, the, the 10 or 11 days that we're going to have on our back, on, in our backpacks of food and, and, and gear. And I guess just in the event that, yeah, we get rained out and we need to find somewhere to get dry or in the event that we wind up just we got a sheep and time to go home and we want to get in a plane and and uh we're having to wait a couple of days for the weather to break for the pilot to be able to get in so that's the concept of the so the spike camp is what you were taking up in the in the alpine and that's our backpack camp and then there's the base camp which is yeah a few bits and pieces of extra gear just to stay a bit dry and comfortable there is also a number of pieces of gear that uh, i'm not accustomed to bringing at all uh you know, all the camera and uh, audio equipment is part of that. So um, we've got a solar panel and a lithium-ion power pack, which I tested a little bit. Not enough to feel totally secure that they're not going to let us down, but hopefully they'll keep our uh, phones and camera batteries charged. And, uh, and, and then I'll just the hunting-specific stuff. Let's talk about the uh, so phones is a is a is a new thing. So this this trip, I'm not bringing a GPS, and I, I packed around one of those Garmin uh, sixty CSXs for twenty years or something like that, long time, and it's been super reliable. It's got a it's you know been a great tool for marking where I started from and marking where I end up and trying to find my way back. 
that the compass is is yeah without without doubt great system. Um, but I'm leaving it behind in favor of taking my iPhone, which I've got. Uh, a, there's a number of GP, GPS uh, apps that you can download for your phone. I've got one I like called uh, I think it's called uh, GPS Kit. Uh, it seems to work for me. It, it's a it's yeah it's good enough. I, I think there's probably better ones now if you learn it, but I've I've, I've committed to learning this one and I got it someone figured out. And are they sponsoring this podcast? Uh, they will be soon. Yeah, right. we'll, totally. we'll cut that last bit about the better ones. Yeah, totally. Um, but I've also got, I got Google Earth on there on an app and I've, and I've basically cached all the maps for that for the area. I've got... Uh, um, Harry Potter book one. Harry Potter book one. <laughs> We've got a number of podcasts on there, so if we get stuck on our tent, we can listen to stories. There's a really strong possibility. Well, this has basically happened to me on my last couple of sheep hunts where I've spent more time in my tent listening to the rain fall on the tent than I have actually hunting. So you can either bring a book and read your book, but then you, if once you're done your book, you're done. So I've loaded up. So I've gotten rid of my book this time, and I'm going with podcasts on my phone. As another reason, I've also dumped my uh, my camera in favor of the uh, iPhone, and then uh, I've also well, it's also it's, it's it's camera, and then we I've got a little speaker for it, so we can maybe try and do some or a microphone, I should say, so we can maybe try and do some podcasting if we're stuck in the tent for any length of time, and uh, talk about how exciting the hunt has been up till then. So it sort of replaces a bunch of stuff, but the downside, of course, is that Unlike the GPS, which like if it runs out of batteries, you put new batteries in and you're super solid. Like if you run out of batteries on your iPhone, um, it's not like you have AA batteries to chuck into it to get it fired up again. So you need to need some type of charging system. So which we have if it works. If it works, it's also kind of heavy that panel system, right? Yeah, it's just over a pound. Okay, so I bought. At, at uh, London Drugs, there was those there's the little uh, rechargeable battery packs for like charging your phone, and I think like, it's like three thousand milliamps of charge or something like that, which is effectively one charge for my iPhone six. So I bought three of them. So I got three full charges plus whatever I go in the woods with. So you just gonna discard them as you? Uh, <laughs> yeah, for eight bucks. <laughs> what the hell? God, I don't know. We'll see if they really work. Um, and then I'll probably throw a couple. I got a bigger one that I'm going to throw into the big their gear cache. But at least I've got that backup power if we're going to rely on it for those, for particularly for our navigation um, and, uh, and taking a few photos and that type of thing. So I'll have a couple of battery packs in my, saved up and we can use the, uh, hopefully get a charge on it occasionally and we can listen to a few extra podcasts if we're, or stories if we're stuck in the tent. So, anyways, you need battery management if you're going to go that route. All right, what else is interesting on that list that you hadn't seen before? Uh, well, well, one thing that, that uh, struck me is that all of my gear, I, I've specifically shopped for things that are high visibility because my paradigm has typically been that if I get into some kind of trouble, I want people to be able to see me from across the valley and, you know, come recover my body or whatever um, and so you know I, I showed up at, at, at Dylan's house for a gear check with my uh, big little orange nylon 
hiking pants and my cherry red Gore-Tex jacket and my blue backpack, which oh. I understand is the, the color that ungulates see most strongly. Yep. That's the only thing that we know. Like, uh, I just listened to an, uh, one of uh, Steve Brunello's podcasts, and he had an interesting guy on there talking about what it, what a deer actually see. And like, the only thing they've actually been able to figure out for sure is that they really see blue well. Like, that's the only thing they know for sure. Like, they don't know if camouflage actually works or whatever. They just all they know is blue. Yeah, the deer see blue. So, anyway, so it's all right. Maybe I'm sheep can't see, see a blue. backpack floating around. <laughs> it's not going to mean I don't, you know, I think if they see us, then we're, you know, no matter what, we're kind of screwed. I don't, it's not kind of, it's not the kind of hunt. I, I think you could probably get away with a red, uh, a red Gore-Tex jacket and, uh, and, um, and your blue, blue pack and your blue pants and, yeah, fluorescent hiking boots. I'm pretty sure you can get by with that. I, I think what we're doing is, if it's all going to come together for us, we're, we're going to be uh, maintaining sort of, you know, ridges and cover between us and any game that we're sneaking up on, any sheet that we're sneaking up on. But one, one other thing that's different for me for this trip is that I'm, I'm used to cooking in the backcountry, so I, I usually travel with a white gas stove and uh, bring ingredients, or maybe maybe I bring ingredients kind of separated into packages that I'll, you know, I'll make like a, like a pasta or curry or whatever. Um, but we've instituted a hard and fast rule: boil water only. Uh, so that 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 affected you know the, the way that I approached meal planning, which uh, probably saved me a lot of time actually already, because I just went and bought mountain house. Yes, we're gonna have mountain house backcountry patchy face offs every night. And yeah. then the winner uh, will have the opportunity if they so choose to sponsor this podcast. Is that right, Dylan? That's right. Yeah, and we could actually we could you know what be part of be a fun part of our podcast is we could actually do like a review of the different meals that we back at your pantry meals because that's actually something quite relevant to people in our community. <laughs> Which one is the most like palatable of the bunch? Right. Well, I I don't know if I should say this, but I, I come with a strong bias toward mountain house. But, um, I'm prepared to have my mind changed. Well, we'll see. Yeah, okay, well, we can, yeah, mix and match because it's, uh, yeah. But so there's a, you, you know that I, you know, I love to cook. And um, and it's kind of a funny thing that I would be the guy saying, let's not, let's not even try to cook. Let's just go for this, like, food bag approach to put the feed bag on. And, and uh, one, one of the things that I find when I'm hunting, like, is it, like, I kind of want to hunt. Like, I don't really want to hang around a camp and cook, which, which I'd rather be, I'd rather be hunting. So the kind of, I don't, and I like to be able to hunt, and this happens a lot, like you, you'll be on your hunt and, and, and you're going to push it because you just do until till you're absolutely exhausted or you're running out of time for the day. And so you come back to camp and now you got to, okay, now you got to cook and someone's got to chop up something and someone's got to like simmer this or do that. It, it is kind of relieving to come back after a long hunt and just be able to be boil some water and fire it into a bag and then in 10 minutes like no matter how low your energy is or that you'll you'll have food and it's done and there's not and like there's no dishes either you just you know pack out your 
a little bit of garbage there or throw it in a fire if you can do that. Well, well I, I brought a bowl. I don't know if that's against regulations. <sighs> I did. You know what? I might throw a bowl in. I, I got. I got a bowl that's ah, like. It's like it's like not even an ounce. It's less than an ounce. I'll, we'll, we'll, I'll weigh it at the trailhead and see if I'm gonna throw it in the pack. You bring your stamp? <laughs> of course. I don't know. No, I'll, I'll weigh it before we get in the plane. So yeah, I kind of you know I'm, I'm sort of into this idea of just kind of keeping it simple when I'm in the woods, just for one less thing that I, you know, I, I can I can I can spend my time hunting instead of cooking and doing dishes and, and just sort of and also spend a little less time. It, like it felt like there was a, a whole lot of organizing gear, and even just doing the lunches and breakfast thing, like that took me a fair bit of time just to kind of parcel out everything. I, and to do in addition to do doing some lightweight meals, I think would be a, a challenge. But maybe down the road when I, when I got a little more time, I could. I'd I'd love to you know come up with a few great like uh, dehydrated uh, meals that I can you know put in a bag or, or boil up real quick and call it a call it a meal. But that's ch- that's a challenge for another day. There seems to be an endless long list of stuff that I have to do ahead of that. So. And to be clear, I'm not criticizing this approach. I'm just stating that it's uh, different from how I'm normally approaching backcountry eating. And I, I suppose it makes perfect sense because in addition to getting all the places that we need to get, we also need to hunt. So more things to do, less time for hanging out around the stove. Yeah, well, and I kind of wonder, like, I wonder what, like, I go fishing on the West Coast a lot, and it's, you know, I spend a bit of time on the beach making nice meals and, like, laying around, but then there's these, like, kayakers that are, like, camped next to me, and, like, I, I like, what do they, what do they do all day? Like, I spend 16 hours in the boat catching fish, and I still come home and make dinner, and I, and so I, I wonder this, and, and all I can assume is that they, like, spend a really a long time cooking, because what else do you do? Yeah, frisbees. Yeah, frisbees probably. It probably takes them a long time to get to the beach. Yeah, and I, I think they, I think they paddle around and stuff, but it just seems you know so much more fun going fishing. I just you know paddling around. I guess I guess they go and explore. That's pretty fun. Yeah. Anyways, lightweight meals. I kind of, I'm, I'm kind of big on that. So so uh, what did you? Um, what's your lunch? What do you got in your lunch? Well, alright, here's another page from Dylan's playbook. I went and I got some charcuterie and some cheese. Uh, neither, neither of which are things that I normally would tend to carry with me, but I've got uh, some nice salami and pepperoni and uh, a few types of hard cheese, including some cheddar, which maybe isn't as hard as I thought it would be. It's starting to sweat already. It's like 30 degrees out right now on this highway. Uh, and, but the bulk of my lunch food is uh, granola and nuts and dried fruit and snack bars and things like that. And so how many... Now, did you actually count calories or weight for each lunch? No, I, I didn't. My, my lunch is kind of a pool. So I've got... Uh, I might have like eight different types of lunch food and most of them are split across two different bags and on any given day I'll, I'll grab uh, you know maybe two or three of those and that'll be my lunch for the day. Okay. And I'll, I'll graze out of them. 
mix my salami with my cranberries and fig bars. Just chop it all up into one giant, like, some gorp? Like yeah, salami gorp? Cut, cut the corner off the Ziploc. And just <laughs> So, uh, when I was researching this a few years ago, trying to figure out you know, the best bang for your buck in terms of what to, what to pack, I, one of the things that you, calories are kind of easy to calories are fairly easy to to get, and they're relatively light. But it's the fat that's the hard one to get when you're, and that's really what your body's going to crave when you start to work real hard, climbing up mountains and, and extending yourself. So that those salon, those dried salamis and the I, I bring a dehydrated sausage that's full of fat from uh, um, the J N N Z Deli at first a commercial best dried sausage in, in the world, I would say. And their Hungarian sausage is um, fantastic. And they're awesome people as well. Um, Soon to be the sponsors of the Absolutely podcast. will be the sponsor of the Wild Podcast. I'd be happy to give them a shout out. They're, they're actually going through a rough patch. Actually, uh, the, the, the father, the, the original sausage maker, passed away last year. So actually, the sausage that we have on our trip is the last batch of sausage that their father made. So so we'll enjoy it. I got a few extras for you in my, in my bag. So Much appreciated. Well, yeah. I actually haven't tried their sausage, so it'll be the, the first and last time I try it, I guess. Well, no, no his, 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 the daughters are, have taken on that. Natasha and Zoki are, are carrying on the tradition. They've been making the sausage for a long time. But, but yeah, it's... Um, Super, super great sausage. But but what's great about it, other than it tastes amazing, uh, and it's not full of nitrates either, which is nice. It's just it's just a dry, fatty sausage, so it's light, but it's got a quite a bit of fat in it. So it really, just, you know, really bolsters your energy, and just a few bites will really quench that that hunger. Um, so I have one sausage a day. It's about a hundred grams each, each sausage. And I have 50 grams of cheese for my sort of fat complement. And then I have sort of miscellaneous bars and a handful. I got 100 grams of nuts a day. They're, they're high in fat too. So that's a, that's a good one. Um, so I'm hopeful that I should be around like, around like 300 grams for my lunch. And then I, dinners are, I don't know, they weigh about those. Uh, how much do those... Uh, about meals way. They, they actually uh, vary quite widely, but uh, most of them are about a half pound. Okay. So, a couple hundred grams, is that half pound? Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah they're like two, two, to, two to 250 grams. Yeah. So, getting close to like about a pound, pound and a half a day. And then you get your breakfast. What do you, what do you got for breakfast? Oatmeal. Just straight up? Uh, oatmeal with some nuts and <laughs> So I did the same thing. I, I kind of hopped it up with some uh, with some dried, uh, a little actually a little bit of that uh, um, the chia seed cereals, and uh, like, holy crap, that's another potential sponsor for our podcast. It's good stuff, um, and uh, flax seeds and some almonds. But again, just going for the stuff that's got a bit of fat in it. So I I I, I guess I, I sort of lied. I, I did. Uh, kind of work things out by waiting for lunch. I just didn't didn't parcel them out into individual portions. But I've got um, about 100 grams of mixed cheese and meat per day, and uh, uh, and just shy of a pound of dried fruit and nuts per day. 
Oh, oh really? A day? A little over a pound. Wow. Which, which, which might be more than I need. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I was kind of hoping to starve myself because I, you know, when you get in your 40s here, it starts to, like, like not gain in weight for the first time in my life, so. Well, don't come crying to me for more nuts. <laughs> come on, man. Just give me, just give me an almond. Just one. Cool. All right. So that's what else is on there? Okay. There was um, optics on there. We kind of decided. So, oh, yeah. Oh, here's a, here's a company that cannot sponsor this podcast. Cabela's would not take back my broken Cabela's binoculars. No that, way. They, they offered me uh, $62 for them. You're kidding. It's because I couldn't find the receipt. But they say Cabela's right They're on them. Right on them. Oh, that's disappointing. They, they, they've been good. To, actually, I'm, I'm hosting a couple of events at Cabela's. We're actually becoming, you know, they, they, and they're talking about, they're promoting my event, right, my well, events. So. You can cut this part of the podcast. Yeah, like, don't be knocking the Cabela's. Because you were dealing with the American Cabela's. That's the problem. You weren't right. dealing with the good people of Canada right. Cabela's. Um, no, they, they, it's actually kind of neat. We're doing our elk, elk and moose calling workshops later in, in August. Oh, you are? Yeah, and... Uh, They've offered a space, but I was I was in there buying bullets actually the other day, and there's like a little like I have a flyer on their main checkout station that says Eat Wild is doing workshops at Cabela's. Cool. So I thought that was pretty cool. That's, you know. Have you tracked whether you've got any signups? Uh, well, there's lots of uh, I think the workshops are going to be full right. by the time right. it rolls so around. So maybe, maybe in the actual event you'll find out where people are going to Yeah, yeah. I just I mean I couldn't get my act together to put together a flyer to put my own workshop and I was happy to see the Cabela's just doing it for me so so that's cool I'm, I'm really I'm pleased about that so we'll see how that goes but I, but once I meet the top guy like when I meet Mr. Cabela's I'm going to be like hey you know what like I'm cool here with you but like kind of need to help my brother, my buddy out with his uh, his binoculars yeah I'll accept store credit yeah so does that mean you, you, you got broken binoculars for this trip uh, no I went and I, I went and bought even more expensive binoculars to reward them for their Whoa. I turned around and I spent another 400 bucks there. So what'd you buy? Uh, they had these uh, loopholes, uh, something, something, something on, on discount. Mark 3. I, I can't remember the model. Um, but I like them. They have, uh, uh, mainly I selected them because they have a nice, grippy outer surface. Yeah. Not too grippy, though. They seem to have a deeper depth of uh, focal focus, deeper yeah. depth of focus than the other binoculars that were slightly cheaper. So it's yes. easier and quicker to get stuff into crystal clear focus. Yeah, it's also much easier on your eyes that you're not constantly having to adjust them in and out as you're looking. You got that, you got more depth of field than you don't have to adjust them as much. It's not, it's not as strenuous on your eyes, which will be great for this trip because you'll be spending lots of time. Uh, Looking through your binoculars, uh, we we only brought one spotting scope, which is different than some other trips I've done. Because I, inevitably, you're going to want to look through the spotting scope a lot. If 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 we're seeing if if we find some sheep, and we're looking at them, we may look at them for you know days, like trying to figure out if they're, you know, if they're legal or often. You'll be looking at a group of sheep, and you know, a couple sheep will leave one day, and then a couple new ones show up, and then. Maybe that they'd be either legal or bigger, or you know, or you just gotta watch them until they go somewhere that that we can actually get up on them. So you end up watching them for a long time. 
So with only one spotting scope, we're going to have to like, I, I'm going to have to share my spotting scope, which is, I'm not that good at sharing. I'm good at sharing a lot of things. It's not really good at sharing spotting scopes, but, but you're, you're bringing the camera, which is uh, in itself a bit of a, bit of a load and a bit of a pack, bit of an effort. So kind of balances out our weight there. I'll share the camera to you. You let me see the pictures after? Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to take some pictures of you too, of course. Can't be all just pictures of me, I guess. Too bad, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, what other gear? I upgraded my collapsible trekking poles because if we're packing 70 pounds of sheep apiece in addition to all our other shit, I don't want to blow my knees out. Yes, I maybe I might have oversold the size of a sheep to you for like as a concept of whether or not you're gonna fill up fill up your freezer or not. I I'm pretty sure that if we bought a sheep out, it's more like sixty five pounds. So you get half of that. Sixty five pounds per person. <laughs> so, like I said, you know, if, that's sixty burgers. You could probably have a heck of a heck of a, a season-ending barbecue with the slug baseball team. Just like queue up our sheep. Yeah, they're not real big, but if we did, if we do kill an animal, we're we'll most likely um, uh, we'll bring the hideout with us, and 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 the, and the head and the horns are uh, quite quite heavy. Uh, they I think they weigh. Just the, the yeah the, the skull and the and the rack is like twenty or thirty pounds for the. So the the smaller amount of meat won't deprive us of any suffering. That's, <laughs> That's exactly right. That's right. And then the cape, yeah, like I yeah. So I'm not too sure. You you said you wanted to go with the full mount with like the full stuffed animal, like head to toe. I thought maybe making it into kind of a suit that I could wear like for parties. Oh yeah yeah like, yeah. And I could, yeah, would you would you leave the horns on the the, the top? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. I'd have just have to duck through doorways, I guess. What's the name of the the uh, the half man half goat? Like uh, Greek not theology. Centaur, uh, but uh, Pan. Pan, yeah, Pan. You can, you can be Pan for Halloween next year. Yeah. So, but will we actually bring the entire? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think so. That's you know, it's, it, I, I mean, I certainly would like to, to, to hang on to the, the skull and antler, uh, skull and horns yeah, for sure. Well, I, I guess as opposed to, is it a European mount where it's just the top of the skull? Oh yeah, but you, you, you yeah, yeah, you, you could leave the lower jaw if you were just gonna do that European concept. You can leave the lower jaw if for. If you're gonna do the full like shoulder mount, you'd want to keep the the whole head and lower jaw because you're gonna and then the hide and, and then the oh actually you know what that's not true because um I'm not exactly sure how taxidermy works but I think they actually use like a a plastic form of a sheep and then they stick the 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 horns on the plastic forms I, I don't actually know if they use the whole skull or not I, I you know what. That'll be a question for uh, for Danny when we visit with him. That's uh, you'll have to ask that question because I don't want I don't want to look like the guy that doesn't know. Oh yeah, right. you get, oh, yeah. You Speaking of questions that I was going to ask, so that you didn't have to seem like you didn't already know the answer, I talked to the friendly people over 
survival gun. And uh, he bought my license from them. And they, they told me that, um, that it was very important that I not be caught with my old hunter number card or uh, previous year's licenses. Really? Yeah, they said that if a conservation officer caught me with them, that they would call me a poacher. Because you have last year's license in your wallet still or something? I don't understand. I, I don't know. It didn't make sense to me. But any, anyway, so he, uh, he told me to take that home and put it in a drawer somewhere. And then he gave me a, a new uh, Fish and Wildlife ID. Oh. And then the new licenses are just stickers. But I, I guess you already have, you've, got, you've got the same thing. No, no. I've got the last. For some reason, I bought my hunting license and all my tags in the spring. So, and I, I went to Reliable, another one of our podcast sponsors, um, uh, and they I, they basically say, hey, you got the last booklet. They're still selling the booklets and actual card and actual tags that go in the booklet. I, I got the last version of it. Um, so Right, so that was why you hadn't seen the new, I have, new year license. I have not dealt with the new license, which I should really get up to speed with seeing as it's part of my, you know, businesses and tell people how all this stuff works. Yeah. So... Well, I, I got the uh, uh, I got the full explanation because the guy the guy knew from my questions about bullets that I was in over my head. <laughs> okay, so this is our plan. We should we should introduce what. So we're on our way to uh, a, a friend of mine who I met. Well, I've been building my relationship with with Danny for a little over a decade. Uh, we we bump into each other in the community where we we hunt elk, and. Uh, and and Danny is a is a is a fairly accomplished sheep hunter uh, sheep guide for many many years. And um, anyway, so we, we we sort of we we you know we have a beer and stuff like that and hang out and and I kind of pick his brain a little bit about sheep hunting and and uh, like sheep hunting is like by, without doubt the like no one really tells you anything. No one tells you anything straight when it comes to sheep hunting because people are fairly like guarded about their spots. And, or there's their buddy spot, you know, so they're not just going to give it away to some, some guy that's like, Hey, have you ever been up that valley? Um, and they'll say, no, no, you can't get up there. It's, it's too rough. And, uh, never seen a sheep up there. And meanwhile, that's like one of their, you know, go-to spots or something. Right? So it's kind of one of those, uh, yeah. I'm really sure. So we're just dealing with somebody stopping in the middle of the highway here. So not sure what that's all about. Anyway, so, so Danny... Danny's become a bit of a friend, and, and I was texting Danny about a spot that I was researching earlier in my in my cycle of research, and he was somewhat forthcoming about you know giving me some background on it, which I felt quite uh, fortunate to be in exchange of that information. And I've since had to change spots because our, the the pilot wouldn't actually fly us into that strip, so we're looking at a different spot. And, I, and I've been able to chat with Danny a little bit about about that as well, and, and he's you know hasn't really hasn't given me any explicit secrets, but he's been forthcoming enough to give me a lot, a lot of guidance as to how to go about hunting sheep. So I feel very fortunate. Anyways, we're going to drop in on Danny, and I'm going to draw some fish off with him on the way through. He, he's up on the way up to uh, Fort Nelson. But I, we have a kind of a list of questions that we want to ask Danny. Of course, I, I, and I was just going to, you know, I thought maybe Rick could, could ask those questions, like, you know, what, what side of the hill should we be looking for sheep on? And, um, Which actually helps both of us, because... By asking, uh, you know, questions that aren't stupid, I'll seem like, you know, just, just uh, 
smart guy who's a beginner, and by not having to ask the exact same questions, Dylan will be able to, you know, shake his head and kind of so, be like, oh, Rick, you don't already know that. You don't already Always the North Side this time of year, Rick. We'll both seem smarter than we actually are. Exactly. So, yeah, we kind of had a strategy that we've got a few questions now that we were going to ask, ask Danny. Um, I can't remember what they were. What, what were those questions? Uh, well, one of them is uh, how, how do we need to prepare uh, the head for a full shoulder mount? Okay, well, we, yeah, I was going to ask him about how much salt to bring. Oh, right. Um, which I kind of, I mean, I've heard various opinions on it. So. You, you should ask him uh, how heavy bullets to shoot. <laughs> should I... Should I share this with our, with our, our podcasting audience? It's the question I got yesterday from Rick. Yeah. I got a text from Rick yesterday. So should I, should I, the text was 150 grain or 180 grain, question mark. And this is like the last day before we go sheep hunting. And I, we, we had at our, at that first meeting when the three of us met, one of the things we all committed to was like, we have to go to the range a lot between now and our sheep hunting trip. I think I went more than you did, didn't I? Yeah, but I think if you count up over my lifetime how much I've been to the range, I think I might, might beat you by a little bit. But you know what the difference is, is that I may have only gone to the range three times since, since then, but I shot the same bullet out of the same gun every time and and zoned in my rifle and my skills based on a consistent approach. All right, so here's here's uh, here's the, the back story. So I, I, I'd... Uh... I'd had the best grouping shooting uh, Remington Corlocks 150 grain, but um, I kind of understood that I was uh, on the white side for sheep. Um, so, uh, so that I, I, I knew that that was the, the bullet that I wanted to be shooting, but uh, I thought maybe the same bullet in a different weight would uh, perform similarly uh, through the gun and then I can I decide it in a different way to account for the extra 30 grains if I wanted to bump up the size. Yeah, so... So, so I, I, I contend that it was not as stupid a question as, you know, one might uh, first assume. Well, I don't think it's a dumb question as to whether or not one should shoot 180 grain or 120 grain or 150 grain for sheep. You thought the timing was inappropriate. The timing, because my, my thought would be that you would have settled on whichever bullet weight you wanted to shoot, and then you've been practicing with that that weight and honing in your accuracy at 100 yards, 200 yards, and even potentially 300 yards. So, just because for sure, if you shoot 150 grain bullet and say you set your gun in at 100 yards, you you you'll be shooting two inches high or two and a half inches high, and you'll be shooting a you know one and a half or two inch group, and that looks pretty good, right? But if you switch over to 180 grain, for sure, I mean, it's not always, but for sure, it's going to shoot slightly different, differently than that 150. So it's either going to, so maybe you're going to be an inch low at 100 yards, or or a couple inches to the to the right. It'll just it'll just pattern differently, right? And and uh, at least that's what I find with the majority. Even with even when switching from different uh, manufacturers, like if, if you shoot a 180 grain. Remington bullet, uh, and then you do a group of three, and then you switch over to a hundred year federal bullet. You, you'll find that they just they'll just group at different parts of the paper. And so if you're if you're using the same rifle to 
say that it's a hunt multiple different species, would you, uh, like, like, say you want to use a different weight for each of those species, would you pick a brand that works and then stick to that brand and then just cite it before each trip with the appropriate weighted bullet, or how would you handle that? Uh, I tried for a while balancing back between 180 green bullets for my for my 30 odd six and 165 green bullets. So I was thinking 165 green for deer and 180 green for for moose. What I found was two things: what that the gun actually preferred to shoot 180 green bullets. So I was I was I was doing a one and a half inch group with the 180 green bullets on my targets. And then if I switched over to that one, that 165, the group would open up and I would be more like a, a two and a half inch group or something like that, maybe a three inch. So I was really, really wasn't nearly grouping as well. Uh, and then the other challenge was that they were shading different parts of the paper. So I was two and a half inches high with my 180 and then I was six inches high into the right with the 165. So if I went switched to the 165s, then I had to adjust my, 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 my sights over to shoot at two, two inches high which presumably would then make the 180 grain more inaccurate, would be inaccurate now, right? Or it would group to the left, probably. So I found myself switching back and forth mid-season and spending a lot of time with the range, kind of shooting a bunch of bullets that, in the end, I was going through, doing a lot more shooting. And I wasn't shooting to develop, to practice and be more confident as a shooter. I was just shooting just like my gunning constantly, back and forth. So in the end, I just actually got away from that completely and just shot 180 grain bullets because they're I mean I think the, da the damage on it I think the damage on a deer is insignificant between a 180 grain bullet and 165 grain bullet like it's all, there's a ton of energy it's going to be if you, if you don't place the shot perfectly it's going to cause some meat loss if you hit, if you hit it in the shoulders anyways um, and if you hit it in the lungs it's going to be a great shot and, and uh, you're not going to have that much meat loss so you know, really, in the end, the secret, I think, is to just get two different guns and, and get a deer gun at a, a 708 or a 308 or a 243 and then have your elk and moose gun and just stick with the same bullet. And then every time, like, what I like now is I went and shot my 300 and my 7mm 08 at the range uh, yesterday, or the day before yesterday, and they're both shoot bang on two inches high at 100 yards. So I shot my 308. I started my 300 three times. I had a one-inch group, 100 yards, felt really good about it. Then I switched over to my 708, and it, it's grouping perfectly at 100 yards, and I was confident with my group at 200 yards. So, um, yeah, so it just makes it just takes a lot of the guessing out of it. You're not switching around. So that's a long answer to that question. But So in the end, when you said 150, 180, I assumed you were still trying to decide which direction you were going to go with limited amount of time left to... Yeah, well, I'd, I'd been, uh, I mean, I'd been shooting 150, and so, uh, yeah, I was just, just wondering whether to make a last-minute adjustment. Yeah, yeah, um, well, yeah, but 150-grain bullet is super good. Like, I, I'm shooting 140-grain bullet. Oh, you are? Yeah, and uh, it, just because that's the bullet that shoots the best out of this gun. Uh, so yeah, if, it, if your gun likes 150 grain bullets, then, then you're laughing. And I'd stick with that because you've what 30 out six, is that right? Uh, oh, it's 308. Yeah, that's great. That's an that's an all around great bullet. 
for, for deer hunting particularly. So I'd, I'd stick with it if it likes it. All right, we should, um, I think we're doing for time on this podcast. Uh, just over an hour. Okay, so we could chat a little bit. Maybe we just wrap up talking a little bit about the gear stuff that we were that we uh, worked our way through. Uh, well, we've talked about guns now. We've talked about optics a little bit. We've talked about technology. Uh, oh, we did talk about the stove system. We, 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 uh, that's, that's a big one for me is that using that, uh, yeah, um, we came close to talking about that because we talked about the, the food system. Yes. So the benefit of going with this dry bag or sort of the add, just add water dehydrated food, food system is that you can, all you have to do is figure out how many times you're going to boil water. So there's a, there's a new system it's called a, a jet boil system, and I've got one that's called it's an MSR reactor, I think. But they're they're a, they're a flame on a butane canister, and the, the pot is designed to kind of almost go almost go right over top of the flame, and and has baffles on the bottom side of the of the pot, so it absorbs like 100% of the energy that's coming off that flame, and and distributing that energy up into the pot, and then and then transferring into the water. So it's remarkable how quickly you can boil a liter of water. Like under, like I think it's, I think it's a minute, like 60 seconds uh, from cold water to boiling water on, on one of these jet boil systems. So that's really nice. If you want a cup of tea or a cup of coffee or, or make dinner, it's, it's like a snap. But what's cool about it is that you could, what we'll, what we'll need to do, this is one of the last calculations we've got to do, is we've got to calculate how much fuel do we need to take in with us. And because... We know that we got to boil water once for breakfast, so we, we probably both want to boil, we probably both need a half a liter for a cup of coffee and a little bit of water for our porridge. We'll probably boil water at lunch for a cup of tea and maybe a soup if, we're, if, we're, if we want to go that route. Um, and then we'll boil one liter at night. So we have three, three boils a day. And we could probably figure out at the times that by 10 days or whatever, 12 days in our case. So we'll need like, you know, 36 boils or something like that, or no, more than that. Um, yeah, something like that. So we'll need, yeah, 36 boils or something like that. So, and we'll be able to just look at the uh, the chart on the MSR website as to how many, uh, how many, how many milliliters of the butane fuel that we need to bring in with us to get 33 boils at. Uh, there's a little bit of a calculation for elevation. So we're going to be at, 5,000 feet of elevation or something like that. So to factor that in. But it can make us really efficient that we know, we have the confidence to know that we've got enough fuel for the trip and we're not overpacking fuel because that's something that I would have typically done with my white gas system is just brought too much fuel all the time. If you're, you know, and, and then of course if you're really cooking, you, you, you're boiling noodles for a little while, or you're simmering stuff, um, all of which takes time and more fuel and yeah, you'll be a believer in the system by the end of the trip. I've actually never been on that trip where we used oil, so I haven't found it before. I, I got talked into it a couple of years ago, and I I wouldn't go back to it. I wouldn't go back now. Or even, I think we're gonna, we might even do our elk trip kind of sort of like this as well, just to really reduce our amount of gear that we're packing. What have you used in the previous years? I, I was like a dragonfly, maybe? Or oh, yeah. Mr. Dragonfly? That's it. The one that sounds like 
Yeah, just the white gas. It blows up every time you start it. It's like super yeah, I, I like white that. gas it bomb. It, it feel, you know, like, it's like you're diffusing the bomb yeah, every time you light Every it. time, yeah. I mean, they're amazing stoves. I mean, they're, they're compact. They don't weigh nothing. And I mean, and I, like, I think I've had the same stove since I was 20. And, and, I, and I have never like maintained it or taken care of it. I just you know, collapse it, throw it at the bottom of my camp box, and break it out again the next time, and it seems to work. So they're pretty, pretty awesome tools for sure. Yeah, okay, so we talked about stoves. What do you have for camp shoes? Mm. I brought my Crocs. I have, I have a very firm rule about not wearing my Crocs out of my house. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I an exception for others. Yes. It's like, I can, I can have some bad style out here. Cause I think I'm, I'm, we're unlikely to see other people and be judged for our style, where we're going. Right, I thought, I thought you meant because you didn't want to, you know, get dirt on the bottom. Oh, no, no, I've just been ridiculed for wearing Crocs in public. And, I mean, I, I've actually ridiculed people of wearing Crocs in public. It's just the fashion. It's just the fashion statement. I'm not. Well, it's really not much of a fashion statement. I think it's just bad stuff. It's like wearing sweats out in public. Come on now, we can all do better than that, can't we? So. Anyways, Crocs. What do you What do you got? Uh, I have uh, knockoff Crocs. Oh, dear. Speaking of bad style. Yeah, but they're uh, they're they're blue though. So, Oof. at least the sheep will be able to <laughs> um, You know what? You do need something like this because inevitably we're going to be crossing some creeks and stuff wherever we go. And uh, if it's too deep for us just to skip over in our, in our hiking boots with gators on, uh, you'll want to you'll just step into your crocs and shuffle across a creek. And... Uh, your socks back on the other side, stay dry. I, I wouldn't want water to flow over the top of my new hiking boots after I sacrificed so much to get the, uh, the Gore-Tex liners. Uh, actually, the, the number one piece of gear that I'm concerned about for this trip is these new hiking boots I got on, on Dylan's recommendation. Ooh, I, I, don't put that on me. Dylan recommended that I get the better ones, but I mistook the ones I bought for the ones that Dylan recommended. Um, they're pretty soft. Uh, are sold as hunting boots. I think they're... Uh, they're like hunting boots for guys who drive ATVs around and call that hunting. Yeah, maybe that's what they are. Anyway, right. they were on sale. Um, they're very comfortable. I've, I've worn them on a few trips. I, I'm not sure whether they were super soft when I bought them, because I, I wasn't kind of kind of hasty. But I, I So anyway, maybe, maybe after three days they, they softened up, or maybe I just screwed up, and I bought boots that were way too soft. But they, uh, they, don't, they don't provide the love support that I'm accustomed to in a hiking boot, so. Yeah, I'm slightly concerned. I mean, the only, I mean, you're an athletic guy, so I think you might be able to, so, I mean. And I, I brought some uh, T3s in case I roll my ankle. Oh, God. Yeah, I'm a little bit worried. that. So so one of the things that we, that unfortunately happened in this miscommunication is that I, I encouraged Rick, Rick, you were saying that you had uh, some old older boots that were on their last legs. That's right, yeah. Great, great boots. They're so low. soul is decontaminating and I've already glued it back twice and it's just uh, I don't want to start an 11 day trip with boots like that yeah so so I, I, I strongly encourage both Kai and, and, and Rick to you know this is something that we, you guys need to invest in for this trip just because 
you need to have happy feet, you need to have dry feet, and you need to have supported feet, uh, given the terrain that we're going to be in with steep slopes, scree slopes, and uh, you need to be able to put your foot down and have a real rigid platform to, uh, to step off from. Um, so I had recommended, um, the, there's a Mindel boots that uh, I've worn for many years that I've had kind of a love-hate relationship with, but for the most part, they've been incredibly reliable for keeping my feet dry, and they're a full leather boot with a Gore-Tex liner, which helps keep your feet dry, and, and they've got that fairly rigid shank in them for that stable platform, which I, which I really rely on. Um, and Cubella's recently started carrying them, which makes them much more available. Uh, they, there's limited distribution in Vancouver, and, and you're kind of constantly waiting on, on, uh, on some guy to bring them in for you. And, uh, but now that Cabela's has, they have a full line of them. And uh, I, guess, I guess they've got a full line of them, which includes some of the lighter versions of the, of the, of the boot that, um, that I've, I've come to know and, and rely on. So, I, I think I probably just made a mistake. I, I, you know, I tried on uh, maybe three different models of Michael boots that they had at, uh, at Cabela's. Uh, I was kind of mixed and matching them, but I, I, you know, I thought they were all the same stiffness, and then I ended up with the ones that, that fit the best and happened to be on sale. Yeah, well, let's have to take it easy. And, uh, don't worry, I'll pack your sheep out for you. I'll take an extra trip. Um, no, I, I think I think the boots themselves. I mean, you'll, you'll keep your feet dry. That's half the battle too, right? Just being comfortable. And they're still got a good. They got a good sole on them. They just they're just this thing. So I guess it's like cross torsional strength. That just when we're side sloping and stuff, we got to be real careful. Yeah, and even just uh, I don't know what you call it, but the uh, the, the toe flex. Flexes quite readily compared to your mind holes, where you really have to muscle it to get the toe to flex at all. Yeah, um, yeah. Which I, I think um, that's less of an issue for, um, you know, for for safety, for like protecting your ankle, but more of an issue for just uh, stress injury from from having to activate your toe flexors all the time when you step. Yeah, for sure. Practicing. Well, let's be careful. I mean, and that's that's without. I mean, at the end of the day, when, like we'll have our own little safety talk, and maybe that's actually a, maybe a podcast concept is to talk about some of the the uh, the safety things we're thinking about when we're out doing this kind of thing, and it's it just becomes so pronounced and so paramount that every decision that you make comes back to like, oh, it's just a safe step or it's just a safe safe idea because um, we idea. yeah good idea for the next episode. Yeah, we'll do like a tailgate meeting, but we'll do it on the back of the airplane, like we do like a, right. you know, exactly like a wing a wing meeting. I don't know what they call it, but we'll we'll. Uh, I'm sure that I'm sure the pilot doesn't really want to hang out with us that much. But. Well, I think we've covered off a lot of the the main gear points. Um, talked about we could talk about tents and more stuff, but uh, maybe we'll we'll reflect on our camp and set up when we're when we're up in the Alpine and how we're staying dry and how we've set up in a future podcast. But this has sort of been a a quick hour and a bit, I'd say. Um, hour and 20 minutes almost. Yeah, okay. Well, hopefully that's enough to get us started and uh, people have enjoyed it. So, uh, where are we now, Rick? Uh, we're 15 minutes north of Modell. Where are we farther north than that? Something like that, yeah. So, we're, we're just um, coming up on Prince George, actually. So, we're, at, we're right at the halfway point of our drive. 
and uh, we got our first podcast in the books, and we'll be uh, coming back at you with a few more stories, and hopefully uh, next time you chat with us, we'll be at the top of the mountain somewhere. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see you then. So, uh, uh, so until next time, eat well and wild, and... So long. So long. And Rick needs to work on his sign-off. I'll have a tagline for next episode. <laughs> yeah. Right on, guys. Bye.